but we are going to talk about valleys and begin a brand new series. Hey, let me say this when we run through the Old Testament. Forget about race and nationality. What happened in the Old Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, the things that happened to Old Testament Israel and those different nations was written for our instruction and admonition. God says, I'm not interested in the nationalities anymore. I'm interested in you using that as a, as a model of what I'll do for you. So please understand that in the New Testament, none of us have any advantage without Jesus. And so I have to go back to the Old Testament and talk about what happened. And God says, now make that applicable to you today. So that's what I'm going to do. And we're going to begin today. So I'm going to take you over to 1 Kings chapter 20. Let me set the stage. Samaria, under a wicked king named Ahab, has just won a huge victory over the enemy armies of Syria. Syria was led by their leader, Benadad. Scripture calls him a godless pagan and a drunkard. So the Syrians suffer a catastrophic defeat. They then retreat to Damascus to take war counsel. And Benadad's advisor tell him, hey, the reason we lost the battle was that the God of Israel is the God of mountaintops. And if Benadad can maneuver Israel's army into the valley, they can defeat them. Because the God of Israel is the God of mountains, not the God of valleys. So God, who hears this, sends a prophet to King Ahab. I would say to Sparky, like, you got your ears on, good buddy? Verse 22 through verse 28. Let me read that for you. Afterward, the prophet said to King Ahab, get ready for another attack. Begin making plans now, for the king of Aram will come back next spring. Now, after their defeat, Benadad's officer said to him, the Israelite gods are gods of the valleys. That's why they won. They're god of the, of the hills, forgive me, mountaintops. That's why they won. But we can beat them easily in the valley. Only this time, replace the kings with field commanders. Recruit another army like the one you lost. Give us the same number of horses, chariots, and men, and we will fight against them in the valley. There's no doubt we will beat them. So King Benadab did as they suggested. The following spring, he called up the Armenian army and marched out against Israel, this time at Apec. Israel then mustered its army, set up supply lines, and marched out for battle. But the Israeli army looked like two little flocks of goats in comparison to the vast Aramean forces that filled the countryside. Then the man of God went to the king of Israel and said, Hey, this is what the Lord says. These Arameans have said, The Lord is God of the mountaintops, not of the valleys. So I will defeat this vast army for you, so you will know that I am the Lord. So God's righteousness has to be vindicated. In the final analysis, we're going to discover God always defends himself. He doesn't need me. He defends himself. So sometimes we think God is in the business of defending our name, right? Or our reputation. But as long as my reputation is crucified, God's reputation is the only one to be glorified. 
God is not intimidated by the possibility you or I might be brought to shame or public censure. God is not nearly afraid of scandal as we are, but God will vindicate in spite of it his own name. Now, God was not defending this wicked king Ahab. Ahab was the husband of that old witch Jezebel. (laughs) He was a man of greed, materialism, and moral weakness. He was a gutless man hiding behind his wife's dress. That wasn't in my notes. I just felt impressed to point that out. You can't have a Jezebel without a gutless man. God called him the most wicked king he ever had. How would you like that on your resume? Would you sum up your life? Yeah, God said I'm the worst guy that he's ever had. What a resume. And Ahab deserved the judgment of God. But instead, listen, God gives him two successive, magnificent, miraculous military victories. But God sent the prophet to tell Ahab that he was doing that to vindicate his own name, not Ahab. So through this story, God is saying a very serious thing to Benadad and to us, the church. I will defend my name. God will defend his own name. Now, this is a great truth. It means that any great miracle that comes in a ministry or through a minister has to be viewed through the scalding reality of prophetic implication. God is not necessarily endorsing that ministry. God is defending his own name. Now, people often ask, how can a man in horrible sin, moral failure, produce a great miracle? Isn't that God's housekeeping seal of approval on somebody's ministry? Not at all. It signifies God is a God of grace, and somebody was in that crowd looking to God, not this minister, and God met them at the point of their need. He was vindicating his own name, not the sleazy minister. Now, that's really important. We've had people in ministry go to prison, launder money, have multiple affairs, multiple wives, multiple children, all kinds of catastrophic moral failure who worked miracles. I can remember all the way back from the 40s forward of famous people, and people said, well, how could they work that great miracle? You think it's because of them. It is not. God was blessing his people, and that guy was just an instrument. And by the way, you know, there is another Israeli prophet named Baal, a false prophet, and God used a jackass to talk to him. Now, when God got through talking to him, the mule was still a jackass. Okay, so just because God uses you, it does not vindicate you. That's really important for you to hear that. It's important for the guys in the pulpit to know that. God may be blessing you, and he has to use what's available, and it's flawed. And the consequences will still come down on that person. But at the end of the day, God's vindicating his own name. But it's the same scenario as to why God would give Ahab these major military victories. Why would God give Ahab, this murderer and an idolater, a weak man, a wicked king, these miraculous victories? Well, we just read. It had nothing at all to do with Ahab. 
It had to do with God's righteousness and his character. God said, I'm not going to have it said in the capital of Syria by a pagan king that the God of Israel is only powerful on a mountaintop. I will not have my reputation defamed. So what's the point here? It's that God will not allow himself to be defined by the limitations men impose on him. Now listen, every denomination, every religious group fully expect God to constrain himself to the parameters they set. They preach and write that God will only show up and only act in the way they believe he will. And they can't handle it when he shows up different. And maybe some of you either. You know, in the early years of my Christian life, I was taught and believed that that uh, all miracles had ceased with the death of the last apostle, that all the gifts of the Spirit had ceased, that God wouldn't heal anybody anymore, that tongues was the mark of the Antichrist or a few mentally deranged people. We wouldn't even buy shoes that had tongues in them. (laughs) I believe that because I was taught wrong. But here's the funny thing. It didn't change God. I don't care what you believe. You can believe fire won't burn you. Stick your hand in you don't change God because you don't believe something about him. You can't, he can't stop being who he is. It doesn't change him. So he doesn't withdraw miracles from the universe because you don't believe they can occur. God will never allow himself to be limited or defined by the limits men impose on him. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he was by the Sea of Galilee, he still is in San Antonio, Texas, or Bernie, or New Braunfels, or wherever you're from. So God says, I'm going to teach these Syrians a big lesson. I'm going to teach them not to blaspheme my name or limit me to a mountaintop. And in so doing, God speaks to all of us not to limit the God of Israel. Now, in 1 Kings 20, verse 27, It says, Israel mustered its army, set up supply lines, marched out for battle, but it looked pathetic. It looked like two little flocks of goats in comparison to this vast Armean army that had filled the valley. Now, this verse is saying this is a recipe for defeat. Two little flocks of goats against an innumerable powerful army and Israel is not on a mountaintop of a religious experience. They're walking through a valley. Now, this is the fatal place where the enemy makes a big mistake. And they think this is where we can define God out of the battle. Maybe you're in a low place today where others have convinced you or your own thoughts or people have convinced you God can't get involved in this. Don't dare limit God. From time to time, every one of us has to walk through a valley. Christianity is not a permanent mountaintop experience. If it were, you'd be a freak. You couldn't relate to anybody. I've often read, some of you ladies have too, the label on clothing garments that said this, this fabric woven of natural fibers The irregularities only enhance the beauty of your garment. See, but we American Christians, we want a life of seamless luxury, mountaintop to mountaintop splendor, 
perfect and painless so we never have to endure or overcome anything. But when we do that, we make ourselves into a group of weaklings. We will not walk through valleys. We abort inconvenient babies, unfulfilling marriages. We throw them away with a casualness that sets a premium on comfort and dismisses life and commitment as a painful relic of the past. And that's a tragedy. See, valleys give life the rich lushness of definition. Valleys are the cradle of life, the irregularities that enhance the beauty of your life. You know what makes somebody interesting? All the crud they've been through. And when you talk to them, they've been up, they've been down. They've been to every rodeo imaginable. Their life is exciting and interesting. And what makes them so flavorful and colorful are the ups and downs of life and God bringing them through the downs as well as the ups. And all of a sudden, these people have all kinds of life, and you wonder how you can get it. Well, you get ready for some pain. I don't care if it's marriage or business or church or relationships or kids or whatever it is. If you think there's a painless life, you've been watching too much Christian TV. That doesn't exist. In this world, you will have tribulation. You will have valleys. But David said, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Yeah, I'm in a pit. I'm in a low place, but he's there. He's there, and he will sustain me while I am there, and he will sustain you. He's not just the God of hallelujah. He's the God of, oh, God, what a mess I'm in. What a bad place I'm in. See, problems provide you and me with an opportunity to grow. The people of Enterprise Alabama understood that. In their town, you'll see a picture, stands a monument to the Mexican boll weevil. It was erected in 1919 because in 1895, that boll weevil destroyed the country's major crop, cotton. And after that disaster, local farmers had to die or diversify. And they diversified with peanuts. And the peanut crop of 1919 exceeded the value of the best cotton crops they ever had. So on the monument are the following words, and I quote, in profound appreciation of the boll weevil and what it has done as the herald of prosperity, out of a time of struggle and crisis has come new growth and success. Out of adversity has come blessing. Wow. See, God, you have no idea what's on the other side of that valley, but it's always growth. See, the temptation when any of us enter a valley is to say, God is a God of mountaintops. Hey, God is a God of all life, including the valleys. We tend to believe that God's not around unless I'm having hot flashes and mountaintop experiences. That's dangerous. See, God has not changed because I'm in a valley. God's not weak because I am. God is not impoverished because you're poor. My limitations never set a limit on God or what He can do. He's a God of mountaintops, and He's a God of my stinking valley. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. 
Yet my valleys don't limit the miracle power of God. God can work a miracle in any valley. I had a friend tell me once that he had never seen a genuine miracle. He went on to say, I want to see a real first-class miracle. And I thought, no, you don't. Why not, Rick? He said, because the only time you get to see a miracle is when you need one. So before you get to the miracle, you got to go through the need. And when you need miracles, that's in the valley. If you're in a valley today, you're in the place where you are most likely to see the miracle hand of God. You can't zoom from mountaintop to mountaintop. you got to pass through valleys in between mountaintops. And just because you're wearing a dove pin or you're clergy or you have a fish emblem on the back of your bumper or your car doesn't mean you get exempted out of a valley. You do not. So don't limit the miracle power of God in the valley. And furthermore, don't limit the means of God, how God is going to fix you. See, if you read on in the story, after the second defeat of this Syrian army, the survivors of that battle run into a certain town and they hide behind a wall. Then the wall falls on them. Now, you know you're having a bad day when you narrowly escape death in battle, take refuge in a city, and have a wall fall on you. That's a bad day. That wall killed 27,000 soldiers, wiped out the remainder of the Syrian army. See, in a valley, God is not standing somewhere watching my grief and pain with fear and anxiety. He's God of the valleys. He owns the ground in that valley, the mountain peaks on either side. He owns the town wall. He has resources and means I don't even know about so that at any moment, anything's possible and can happen. And it happens for my benefit and yours. This God can make the River Jordan stop and pile up. It's a God who can split the Red Sea, who can make bread and fish multiply, who can open the womb of a 90-year-old woman, make the sun stand still. It's about a God who can do anything in ways you never thought or imagined. And that's what makes real Christianity, real Christianity, exciting. See, I don't serve a God because of miracles, but a miracle every now and then ain't going to hurt you. God has resources and means we know. And don't you miss next week because we're going to, in this series, we're going to talk and believe for some miracles in here. So don't miss. So in the valley, we're not to limit the miracle power of God. In the valley, I'm not to limit the means of God, how he will do it. Do you know, every time I've ever had a significant breakthrough, deliverance in a problem, it has never come like I thought it would come. Not once. And as I've gone through my life to the aged part of my life, you'd figure out God would run out of ways to surprise me. He has not run out of ways to surprise me. I have never thought this is how it would happen. And if you're in a valley, Quit thinking, because you can't think how God's going to do it. First of all, you're going to do like Abraham. You're going to try to make it happen. So you'll run through everything you know how. You know, I'll get me a handmaiden, I'll have sex with her, and I'll get this baby God promised me because I got a 90-year-old wife and she ain't, it ain't happening. And, and then we get all kind of trouble. And when he ran out of everything he could possibly do, now he's 100 and she's 90. God says, are you through trying? Now watch what I can do. 
and I don't know what happened that night in the tent, but something really good happened. I, I don't know, Farrah, but I'd like a little dose of that myself right now. Yeah, because he laughed and she laughed and they had Isaac, and Isaac means laughter. So something really happened in that tent. And then uh, a pagan king wanted her for his harem. Abimelech wanted a 90-year-old woman. Something happened, girls. I mean, God did tummy tuck, lift. I don't know what all happened, but something good happened. Y'all are so straight. Yeah. You hang around Christians. They, they dull down some really fun, exciting, and occasionally some erotic Bible. It just, it just kills me how bland with sterile we make that Bible. It's pretty spicy. It really is. So, but if this is too rough for you, I'm sure there's a little safe church you can go to. Okay. And in the valley, we don't limit last the purpose of God. That's one of the hardest. Because in every valley, God's dealing with a multiplicity of people. God was dealing with the Syrians. He was dealing with Ben-Adad, the wicked leader. He was dealing with Israel. He was dealing with the prophet. He was dealing with Ahab. And he's dealing with individual soldiers in both armies. So when you're going through a valley experience, remind yourself, it ain't just about me. God's dealing with you, your spouse, your children, your friends, your associates, and others who are watching you. It's bigger than you. And this is what Ahab had forgotten. What a pathetic, stupid tragedy Ahab is. Here's a king who just won two supernatural, miraculous military victories, right? Obviously by the hand of God. He, two little flocks of goats against an army. He knows it was God. And the very next thing Ahab does is kill a man and steal his vineyard. Now, we've seen a plague in the Western Church of America of miracles that change circumstances but don't change men. Every time you ever walk close to a miracle, anytime God brings you up out of your valley and you begin to see a mountaintop, remember, you say, oh God, what do you want me to learn in this? What are you saying to me? Change my heart and do what needs to be done in me. I've learned at least one thing in my years of walking with God. If you don't learn the lesson in this valley, oh, God's got another one. If you don't learn it in this marriage, he's got another one. If you don't learn in this job, he's got another one. God won't flunk you out, but God won't socially promote you. You just have to take the class again. You thought you could run and hide, and you run. But see, every time you run and hide, you're still there. And you're what he wants to deal with. You're part of the problem. Because every time you get somewhere and it goes bad, you're the one factor that's always there. So you, you want to learn whatever lesson I need to learn in this valley, I want to learn it. So that when God takes me out of the valley, and he will, I want to be a different man. I don't want to just brag on I got a miracle. Hey, I'm different. I'm not going back that way again. And I believe we often have prayed for miracles to change our situation, but not to change us. See, changing the situation is the easiest part. It may be the other half is to make you a giant in the valley. Don't fear the valley. Learn to expect a miracle. Learn to say to yourself, on the other side of this valley, 
there's going to be a mountain. In fact, let's do that. I don't do this normally, but this is a good thing to say with me out loud, would you? On the other side of this valley, there's going to be a mountain. And you can count on that. Now remember, the ups and downs of life are what give life texture and flavor and color. And our God doesn't just dwell on the sunny peaks of mountaintops. He's the God of all life, including the valley. And if God owns your life, if you've given Him your life, He's Lord of your life, then what can happen in your life that God cannot invade with His miracle power? Nothing. If God's your Lord, what can you go through? He can't teach you, edify you, or build you up and change you. What valley is so low, God can't reach down into it? Last verse, Romans 8, verse 35 through 39. says, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves me if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or there's no hot water in the shower? or we're threatened with death. As the Scripture says, for your sake we are killed all day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. But no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Not death, not life, not angels, not demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God revealed in Christ Jesus. Your pain never cancels God's promise. That which I have begun in you, I will perform it till the day of Jesus. I don't know how, I don't know through who, I don't know when, but I've stood on that promise many, many times. If he started it, he'll finish it. If he says you're going to have a baby and you're 90, you better go get some paint and decorations and a baby bed because it's going to happen. If God says he's going to bring you to the other side, don't be worried about how. Get prepared for the promise that he gave you. What God promises always comes true. And so you encourage yourself if you're in a valley today. God is just as strong there. In fact, He may do something you would never see otherwise had you not gone through this difficult period. And when you come through it, use that encouragement to help someone else going through a valley. Because everybody goes through valleys. And I wish it was just one time, but it's often a cycle. You're either going into one or you're in the middle of one, or you're just coming out of one, it's called life. But God is in all of life. How wonderful to know, nothing can hide or separate me from God. He's God of the mountaintops, and He's God of the valleys. Amen? For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.